I was born into this industry. My father ran pubs. You tended to live, well, you always lived above the site. So um, I grew up from a very, very earliest age, restocking all the shelves, putting the empties in the, in, in the various crates as soon as I could and was allowed to old enough, was clearing tables and was probably doing that before I was allowed to do it a little bit. And then I was serving and cooking and really grew up in this industry. So. I'm, you. I'm sad, one, that we don't have a pint for each of us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, starting, starting in the bar. And now I'm just picturing Ted Lasso and your mom is May serving everyone that's, in the pub. That's pretty accurate. And a young Danny running around cleaning up glasses. Cleaning up glasses and uh, learning to deal with everything that you have to deal with in a pub. Welcome to Teak Talks, the hospitality-centered podcast that dives deep into the stories of industry leaders to give you the very best in market insight, investment, and inspiration. I'm your host, Teague Hunter. Today, we're sitting down with Danny Hughes, EVP and President of the Americas for Hilton. We're going to talk about Danny growing up in the UK, two new brands for Hilton, and the 2024 pipeline. Please enjoy this week's episode with Danny Hughes. Danny Hughes, thank you for joining me today. Absolute pleasure to be here. I'm glad to get you in town in person. This is more this is more fun this way. It's much more fun, isn't it? Great, we're all together now. None of that uh, Zooming anymore. No, I don't remember that. No, People we got to come me. together. Yeah, absolutely right. All right, thank you for being here. So uh, obviously I want to talk about all things Hilton, development and your view on the world. Uh, but to me, you, were one, you personally, Danny Hughes is one of the great characters in our industry. And I mean that as a compliment. <laughs> so I want to find out who's Danny Hughes. How did he get to this space and how do you get to where he is? Well, I was born in uh, Newport, Wales. Newport, Wales. Yeah, that's uh, not a Southern accent? Not a Southern accent. You know, I tell people it was really Brooklyn, but it was really Newport, Wales. I was born there, two Welsh parents. Um, I kind of like to say that I was born into this industry. My father ran pubs. Oh, um, yes. All those years ago, it's uh, you tended to live, well, you always lived above the site. So, um, I grew up from a very, very earliest age, restocking all the, the shelves, putting the empties in the, in, in the various crates as soon as I could and was allowed to old enough, was clearing tables and was probably doing that before I was allowed to do it a little bit. And then I was serving and cooking and really grew up in this industry. So it was kind of natural for me. I thought I wanted to be a chef. Left school at 16, embarked on a four-year apprenticeship I'm um, very, very traditional, work-based, where you actually went to college one day a week as well, and completed it, and I like to say made the first adult decision of my life when I completed my apprenticeship, and I quit. <laughs> um, and I realized that the people who were really good at it, it was their passion. Yeah. And, and I think that's true today. You see great chefs, great culinary artists, it's a passion for them. And for me, it was, um, I was competent in it. But on, you know, when I would have a date, when we'd have days off, I'd want to be down the new motorcycle shop and see what was going on. And I'd have uh, colleagues that wanted to go to the latest farmer's market. And uh, I kind of realized, and I said it was my first adult decision, that I was always the first one to put my hand up to, to go on the carving station or do the flambés. And I love talking to people. Um, 
and I jumped over the line, as they say. So right now, I'm going to interrupt you. I'm sad, one, that we don't have a pint for each of us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, starting, starting in the bar. And now I'm just picturing Ted Lasso, and your mom is May, serving everyone that's, in the pub. That's pretty accurate. And a young Danny running around cleaning up glasses. Cleaning up glasses and uh, learning to deal with everything that you have to deal with in a pub. Do yeah. those pubs still around? You know, we, we were in so many different places. My dad was a bit of a kind of troubleshooter, an opening specialist, so we moved around a lot which I think, again, was useful for me. It helped me kind of constantly making new friends. And of course, in those days, you had to make friends. Right. It wasn't like you could just stay on social media talking to your friends forever like the kids do nowadays. Um, so I think it was, uh, it, was, it was hard at the time, but I think really, really helped me. So what was your first official hotel job? My, first, uh, my first official hotel job, I was a trainee chef. I started in a small town called Bournemouth in England. A couple of years there, ended up in London, um, where you kind of gravitated to be. That was the center of the universe in the UK. Um, and then after I jumped over the line and went through a rather traditional, uh, ended up as a restaurant manager and eventually food and beverage role. And then 37 years ago now, started at the London Hilton on Park Lane, which seems like a lifetime ago now. And that's what I did. London. What was your position there? I was the junior assistant food and beverage manager. Of course. Which means there was a director, a couple of managers, several assistants, and then me. <laughs> um, but it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. Um, and it was working for Hilton, brought me to the U.S. But yeah, when, what brought you to the U.S.? So in those days, it was kind of like being in the army. If you wanted a career on Hilton International, you were assigned your next role. Yes. I don't know what would happen if you said no. I don't actually know anybody who said no, but I was very lucky that I was transferred to the Windows in the World in New York City. Oh, yeah. Yeah, when Hilton ran that, I uh, moved to New York City, um, worked there for a little while, and then moved over to Newark, New Jersey. I don't know if I upset somebody or what happened, <laughs> but we opened a brand new hotel in Newark, New Jersey, and that turned into the biggest blessing of all for me because I, I met my wife there. Um, and we just celebrated 33 years. Congratulations. Uh, together, so that was pretty special. And that was my first kind of big job, first assistant general manager's job, and then um, ended up as a general manager in various different hotels, went back to Europe for a couple of years, and then I moved, uh, I guess, 23 years ago now back to Miami to take over South America for Hilton. It's a whole different, uh, whole different ball game. Yeah, so you, all right, so we started in the kitchen. Yeah. Sorry, started in the pub. Then the, the kitchen. Then the kitchen. And then we went to the management side. Went to the management side. Operations side. in hotels. Went to operations up there. And GM. GM. And then I ended up yeah. in uh, actually uh, uh, running a small region of hotels, which again gave me some great lessons. The, the, the transition from running your own hotel and then running a collection of hotels, very, very different. Um, and then ended up running a bigger region, which was South America. And then I guess about nine years ago now, was privileged to take over all of the Americas. For what, what is it like? I'm thinking, you mentioned the Army, but what is it like working for corporate America and moving? And is your wife okay? She's followed you every, every place you've gone. She really has. And I think so many relationships, and certainly successful long-term relationships in these industries, tend to be people who are also in the industry. Met my wife in the industry. She was um, a banqueting manager. I'm in that hotel in Newark, New Jersey. So understood the business, understood what was uh, was required, understood it was a lot of weekends, a lot of long hours. Um, 
And I was lucky that she was adventurous and had the same kind of uh, ambition to see the world and do different things as well. So it's worked out great for us. It's really worked out great. Yeah, I'm so thrilled to hear that. And then on the development side and the operations, we've moved up the ranks, small territories, bigger territories, bigger territories. Yeah. Now EVP, President of the Americas. Yeah. Not just North America, Central South. Central South America, that's right, and, uh, and Canada. Um, and it really is. It's, it, it's, I, I always say there's three parts to the job. One is obviously the performance of the hotels. Um, performance drives everything. Yep. That fuels our growth. Then the business model we have where we are asset light, we're 100% reliant on third-party capital for money. It's a lot about making sure that we develop the right relationships um, to have new hotels that can grow. And then it's about, as we grow, continue to adapt to the business to make sure that we're, we're, we're fit for growth. Yes. And we're doing the right things. And then, of course, preparing for the un- unprepared as uh, the whole world had oh. in, uh, in COVID. Give me your, at the risk of going backwards and talking about tough times, give me your opinion of COVID and what your world, world was like during well, it was, it was scary for us. I mean, it's, it's incredible when you think of a business, you know, we don't manufacture everything. You know, 100% of our inventory expires at midnight every day. Um, and we went from worldwide occupancies, when well over 120 countries, um, at the time approaching 6,000 hotels, and globally, an average occupancy of, of near 70%. And in the matter of days, went to very, very low single digits. Um, and to actually sit there and see all, practically all of your revenue stream go up and smoke with no idea how long that would last um, requires you, I think, to focus in the moment and maybe actually put your little strategic plans on, on hold a little bit. So we immediately were able then, or chose, to focus on the safety and security of the people who are working in our hotels, safety and security of the few people that were coming to our hotels, which was mainly first responders and medical staff, and then really leaning in to our ownership that was suddenly also facing their entire business and their entire ability to pay their debts disappear. So we focused on protecting our employees, protecting our team members, and doing everything we could to change our business model in the short term to protect our owners. And that's what was required. Um, and out of that came things like the Hilton Clean State, came things like we decided within a couple of weeks of, uh, of COVID hitting that we were going to give away a million room nights to first responders, people who were running into, uh, into danger with the same fears and trepidations about their families. Um, and of course, there was no vaccines in those days. Nobody knew what was going to happen. Hospitals and medical facilities were overrun. And, and these you know, beautiful, fearless souls were we're leaving home. So we opened up um, and used our own balance sheet to pay for this million rooms and made sure that we could do that. We adapted our operating standards in terms of significant fee relief and significant brand standard waivers and faced the new reality of our owners to help them survive, quite frankly. Um, and then, of course, like every business in the world, we had to adapt our, um, our own staffing models we chose to do things a little bit differently. You know, one of the things I, I, I think collectively we came to this decision that in retrospect, I'm so glad we did. Um, at a time when nobody was booking anything, we decided to not lay off any of our salespeople. We went to all of our sales force, 
We said, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know how long it's going to last. Here's the deal. We're going to reduce everybody's salary by 50%. We expect you to work 50% of the time. We know the clients are booking. But call them. Keep phoning them because they, they're going through the same fears. And those relationships we maintained in the great unknown when, as we all know now, thankfully travel came back with a vengeance. It was different, but it came back with a vengeance. Um, those relationships and those decisions that we made helped us, I think, protect not only our guests, but as I said, our own team members um, and our owners. And that's, it was, you know, let's be honest with it. It was a little bit making this up as you go along. 100%. There isn't a manual for, you know, the world stops traveling completely. Um, but I think collectively working together um, and, you know, friend of yours, our, our, our boss, Chris Nassetta, was a true guiding light throughout this whole thing. So we were able to stay very focused on it. Yeah. But I hope it never happens again. Oh, knock on wood, right? <laughs> exactly. So what I'm thinking, that's really well done. Thank you for giving that explanation. My brain going back, one, it's about the people. Yeah. Yes, everyone from the line level all the way up to the executives. And if you don't have great leaders like yourself and Chris and the entire team. Absolutely. Again, it's uncertain times. Um, I'm also, it's, we always, as leaders, often fight the last battle. Right. And my last battle uh, memory was the GFC. Right. When the right thing to do was everybody laid everybody off immediately. The, right. the, you, the faster you made the decision, the better chance you had of survival. Right. And if we'd all gone back to that same playbook right. and made that decision, because it lasted significantly longer than anyone thought, Absolutely. this one, fortunately, pretty short in our industry and came back pretty quickly. So yeah. you have to, you can't always look back. You got to fight this one, not the last one. 100% right. And I, and I think it evolved very, very quickly. I mean, it really, really did. And we all know that as, you know, during COVID, everybody bought stuff. They bought things. Um, and, and there were all those threats that the, the, the age of travel was over. There'd be no need for people to meet. There would, and humans want to interact with each other. There's just a massive need to, to be with each other. Um, and when people had bought all the stuff, then they wanted experience. Um, and it, it, it really did, I think, allow us to um, make sure we were well prepared for it. Now, I will say we're now in the stage yep. because true hospitality in many, many ways suffered as it had to be. Yes. You know, initially by the demands of guests, when they were sitting on the doll, they didn't want anybody in their room. They didn't want to actually be shaking hands with people. They wanted everything to be as contactless as possible. And I think thankfully we'd been developing a lot of uh, of technology, whether it be digital key, choose your rooms, um, being able to access areas with your device, that helped us create that. But now people want genuine hospitality and, and looking forward now, we spent a lot of time developing what we call our customer promise to bring back true hospitality where people do want their rooms cleaned, where people do want genuine interaction, where people do want great food and beverage. Um, and I think it's an unbelievable opportunity for us to do even better than we did before because we've learned how to be more efficient, quite frankly, learn how to automate some of the mundane tasks, which will allow us now to um, empower our people to, to give true hospitality. And that's our challenge. I love that. Trying to be better as we come out of it. What, what are the lessons you think we learned? What travel patterns do you think we learned? 
Well, they're going to lead into development and and following the dollars. Yeah, I think the biggest single change is that you know it, we we always whilst we have lots of segments in this industry, it's basically leisure or business, right. and the difference is you have to be somewhere or you want to be somewhere. Those lines are just blurring enormously now. In this world we've all invented and love to use of leisure, it's real. I mean, people are absolutely extending travel pre and post. They're mixing business and leisure. Um, they're traveling. And whilst people have returned to the office on, on mass, it has changed a little bit now that there are more people that are working at least some of the time remotely. And it's not work from home. And I think that's the one thing that in the beginning it was work from home. It's not work from home, it's work from anywhere now. And I think that's created another opportunity for us as there's people not always 100% of the time consolidated in their office buildings. That's created the need, whether it be a sales force, your technology team or your development teams, for them to get together more. And we're seeing some of the changes in travel that the leisure is a real thing that there's more meetings to get people together that might have happened in offices before, and that truly hotels have to be almost more flexible for that. Um, and I think that, again, it's created an opportunity for us. Um, but the one thing that statistically I think most people would share with you is the meeting segment has come back stronger than ever. People want to meet. There is no, you know, it's, it's funny, it's all this, I always say to people, you know, when you talk about virtual stuff and AI, well, it's artificial and it's virtual, and that's not real and that's not authentic. And I don't think as long as, uh, long as God gives us oxygen to breathe, people want to be with each other. And I think um, that will always be the case. Amen to that. Uh, so listen, you have a lot of hats. You wear a lot of hats and you're pulled in a lot of different directions. Where do you find yourself spending most of your time these days? Well, the first thing that guides all of us in our organization is culture. It is the single biggest uh, uh, thing in our organization. You know, there's a lot of cliches. People always culture, Trump strategy. And, but we're in the business of people serving people. We really, really are. And when you think of this big, beautiful building we're in now, it's magnificent. And it looks fabulous and the location's great. But the magic happens with people interacting with each other. So our number one guiding light driver is always focused on culture. You know, the thing that I, I wear this on my um, on lapel. It's a good looking pen. We're the number one great place to work in the world. I can't be any more proud of that for any, anything I've ever done in my career and be part of it. And I think if you asked all the leaders in our organization right up to CEO Chris Massetta, they'd say the same thing. We can genuinely do good um, for people and do good for our owners and do good for our consumers at the same time and create opportunities. So culture's everything. So there's not a visit to any hotel, no matter what I'm doing, where being with the team members and walking around and spending time with them and listening to them, because that's where some of our greatest innovation comes from. So that's number one. Secondly, um, whilst we want to grow, and that's very, very much what we want to do, we want to be able to serve the needs of every business traveler, no matter what they're staying need anywhere in the world. Um, the single biggest sales tool we have with that is performance. So making sure we're maniacally focused on making sure we are driving great returns for our owners, whether they own, um, it's their first Hampton Inn, or whether they've got a magnificent 900 room hotel like this, 
um, no matter what kind of owner they are, an independent owner, a private equity or private-public partnership, um, you have to drive performance. And then out of that, make sure we're telling the story about our culture, about our performance, about our ever-expanding capabilities um, and trying to grow, but grow in the right way. It's not about growth for growth's sake. We want every hotel we open to be successful um, by driving new customers into that location, whatever it may be, which is why we, we uh, surgically develop new brands. We have a little different strategy from other companies. We, um, we don't buy brands, uh, haven't, it doesn't mean we won't forever, but we like to organically grow them so they're immediately integrated into all of our infrastructure, all of our systems, our loyalty programs, our websites, and of course our culture, um, and that they can be additive when, you know, for example, the two newest brands we have. Let's go. Let's dive in. Yeah, you've got Spark. Spark by Hilton, if you think that this is our new entry-level brand. And really, when you think of brands like Hampton that provide great, great value um, in a focus service environment, um, there's a significant amount of travelers whose price point is below that. So when you think of an entry level to hospitality, there's just massive opportunities. And quite frankly, it's a bit of the Wild West there. Yeah. So we developed this uh, brand Spark that will be almost entirely a conversion brand that will, will allow an owner for a very, very limited amount of money to renovate a hotel to a standard where guests can expect a clean, comfortable stay where everything works in a great location without all the thrills. Um, and then those people will become part of our Hilton family. We think there's a big ch chance that this will be our biggest brand in the world. Spark, Spark by Hilton. So you'll see them popping up everywhere. We just opened the first few at the end of last year, immediately started to be market dominators. So it's really friendly for owners. It's very consistent for our guests um, and, and the opportunity is unlimited. So I think that's great, great we're, example. The hat tip to pile on to echo that we're getting a lot of phone calls from from the companies in the in the who put a strategy around Spark. Right, right. Hey, Teague, here's what we want. We're going to find these old ass older assets that we can sp put some money in, convert, and we can upbrand them. We've sold a couple that I can think of that's at the right. moment, and that's the model. That's the model. That's the model. I mean, it, it, it has to be consistent from from a, a a consumer point of view, but we have invested a ahead of yeah. the stream enormously. We've yes. got warehouses full of stuff. You know, it can be as close to a plug and play from a developer that says, this is the FF&E package, this is the signage package, this is the technology package, we can help you, and it can be converted really quickly and immediately plugged into our distribution system. And to your point, now you gotta deliver, yeah. or they're not gonna build anymore. If you deliver, home two, wildly successful. Yeah. Uh, build everywhere. Yeah, and I think part of the secret of that, even though the spark is going to grow like wildfire, we're going to turn down a lot more than we convert. Because we, to your point, they have to be consistent in order to be able to perform, in order for owners to have the confidence. So we are being, we, we're very lucky. So this has been in gestation for many, many years. Um, and we think now that we have the, the luxury of being able to make sure we pay. And quite frankly, a lot of these can be with our existing owners who have other brands yep. and are now looking, as you say, they, they see the opportunity to buy, particularly in, in, in 
this environment where there are going to be some troubled assets financially, and they that have been undercapitalized, they can go in, and then uh, everything can work. All right, we got Spark. Give me my other. Give me the other new brand. Live Smart Studios. Live Smart Studios. That's, Tell me about that. So that's our new extended stay brand that we think has massive opportunities. More and more and more now, there is the opportunity for people who are either relocating, who are on project work, um, who are um, not sure that they actually want to commit to one destination permanently, or are actually splitting their time between various different destinations in the new reality we see to recreate an environment that is really like a mini apartment where you will have space, you will have all the amenities you need, but without any of the high cost frills. So there's complete consistency um, from a consumer point of view. And you saw in the research that this was a segment that was underserved. Absolutely. And really needed. Absolutely. And you know, the reality is that, that, that um, even people who have, you know, my personal situation, I have a, a college child who's transferring mid-year, um, you don't necessarily want to sign a year's lease to an apartment or something like that. So being able to have something that goes in, you can get a great, clean, safe environment with everything you need, and that'll be the secret to it. It's massively efficient for, for the owners to operate. Um, but it's, it's, whether it be project work, new development work, and just things like a great example. The infrastructure spending bill that has been committed by this government over the last few years mm -hmm. is billions and billions of dollars that will be spent that will require people from all disciplines, from engineers and surveyors and planners and lawyers, to go to a place wherever that project is going for a short period of time. They're not going to go and buy a house there. They don't want to sign a lease for 12 months in an apartment. Where, they, where do they want to go? They're going to go to something where the product's great and they have the safety and security of the, that it's got a Hilton name, that it's backed up, you can earn points, um, and you know what you are. So just in that one little, uh, one little, well, not little, it's a big infrastructure plan. But we haven't even seen the scratching of the surface of the economic activity that we generated when they start to unleash us and spend all these dollars. And that's just one example. And honestly, but this is a brand that's been built with our owners. I mean, we built this with our existing owners who told us, because you've got to have the consumers yeah. and you've got to have the, the developers willing to do it. So developers who were, we knew from our research there was consumer need. We had a select group of very, very good owners who said, yeah, I would do this. There's the economics, um, at, but it has to be built right in terms of size, facilities, the optimum, uh, the, the optimum's uh, footprint you know, how many parking spaces. So we work with developers behind, uh, behind the scenes way before the consumer ever heard of this to make sure that this is a product that right now we're coming out of the gates and many of our, and they're almost all existing owners are already committing, which is kind of what happened with Home Two Suites. Yes. You know, it was like Home Two Suites, we launched a brand, then had to go sell it. Um, you should do your homework properly that by the time it's launched, it's already a success. That's our view. All right. I love this. I love this. All right. Let's, I'm going to take you to the other end of the Hilton development right. spectrum. Right. So just for fun, where, where, were we, where were you last week? Um, I was in the Conrad Orlando. Thank you. And the week before that, the ribbon cutting of this great Signia Atlanta. Yeah. Tell me, where are we today? Where is this? We're in the Signia Atlanta, Signia by Hilton Atlanta, which is the very first new build Signia anywhere on the planet. 
Um, this is our brand that we believe is uh, is is a higher end version of Hilton that will be very focused on making sure it has great meeting facilities, very elevated design, great food and beverage, and I think is perhaps more than any other brand perfect for this new version of the Bleasure. And when you think of this hotel, yes. you're sitting between, right between one of the greatest meeting facilities in the Western Hemisphere and one of the greatest sports arenas you could possibly imagine um, that's going to host the national championship next year. So you're going to have all this activity from people attending meetings. You're going to have individual business travelers that want to stay in the newest hotel in the town. And you're going to have people attending. I'm coming here, bringing a bunch of friends to watch the Rolling Stones in June. Um, and, uh, and it's funny, funny how many friends I didn't know were friends when I announced that. <laughs> it's just growing. They're all joining you. Yeah. I, listen, I can That's picture, a, perfect I, I can picture an SEC championship. You just mentioned a That's national right. championship. That's I mean, right. the home of the Falcons. I mean, just for everybody, the Georgia World Congress Center's attached right next door. It's owned by the Georgia World Congress Center. Authority. Authority. Yeah. yeah. Mercedes-Benz, the new football stadiums, a hundred yards across oh, the yes. Home Depot backyard. Grassy Knoll. It's incredible. Uh, State Farm Arena where the Hawks right. play yeah. right there. So I can picture your, this is your, this is where you're staying. It's where you're staying. You're walking across, you're walking back. You get to spend a whole weekend. Absolutely. You make it, make a trip of it. I mean, this is, there's gonna be bands out in the ba Home Depot backyard. I can it's really, really cool setup. It is. And then last week was the boat show there. Yep. So, I mean, it really is this perfect, perfect product and this happens to be the perfect location to meet the needs of all travelers and again as i think one of our great trends that we're seeing is the merging of the the, the conventions to the individual business travel to the leisure travel to the family travel and then we built this to make sure it's got great facilities we'll do a whole bunch of weddings here people will be able to look back in 50 years and celebrate they got married here um so that's the other end of the spectrum we're also very, very committed to growing our luxury portfolio. That's where I was last week in Orlando. Um, we opened the Conrad in the Evermore development, 430 rooms on one of the most spectacular locations I've ever seen at this 17-acre Blue Lagoon, which is basically a 17-acre swimming pool. It's just magnificent. Two championship golf courses right in the heart of Orlando, um, which again is one of those destinations that perhaps years ago it was theme parks. Now it's so much more. It's a great meeting destination. It's great for golf. It's great for weddings. It's just expanding tremendously. Um, and to be able to have a, a, a collection, and this is the beauty of us having all our brands. Yeah, just in Atlanta, we've got 160 hotels in the greater Atlanta area, ranging from Hampton Inns up to a Waldorf Story and Buckhead, and now this. And you can do that if you have brands that have their own swim lanes and really beneficial to each other. I'm going to put words in your mouth and they all, they all build, they all help each other. They all help each other. Help Absolutely. Each other. Totally. And uh, real fast, where are you going to be next week? So next week I'm heading to South America. Of course. We continue to see growth in areas um, for the same sort of reasons. I'll actually be in Cancun, Mexico, where we have uh, in, in recent years, the last five years, launched a portfolio of all-inclusive hotels. Um, we believe that this is a growing segment that people want the convenience and the security from a point of view of uh, what you're going to spend in an all-inclusive environment, but they want to do it with a brand that they trust. And I think the all-inclusive is uh, an area that is really going up the chain scale. Um, 
and and we're we want to be part of that. And again, it's based on research. You know, you think we've got 173 million people now earning. Uh, well, I you know by the time I've said that, it's more than hundreds because they keep growing earning points, and they want great places to redeem them. So it's really important that we have a resort strategy that helps us. Um, you know, it's no it's no good earning all the points, you've got nowhere to burn them. So we're focused on that growth as well. So couldn't be, for me, uh, 38 years with this company, my whole life in the industry. And when you think, you know, just a few years ago, we didn't know what would happen. I think it's stronger than ever. Um, we have the strongest culture we've ever had. Um, it truly is, you know, as Chris likes to say, the golden age of travel. Um, and I couldn't be more excited about today in the future. They couldn't be more excited to have you as a leader. I think you're the right guy for the job, That's by the way. So thank you for all you're doing for Hilton, but for our industry, it matters. All the people matter. That's so, why we all love this industry. You're so right. Um, thank you for taking the time to sit down. I know you have a busy schedule. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for doing this. I love Danny, it. thank you. Pleasure.